Bienvenidos al Medical Spanish Podcast. Soy la doctora Molly Martin. Through this podcast, we provide interactive audio lessons for learning practical Spanish for healthcare and elsewhere. The level of this lesson is intermediate, and timestamps are provided in the show notes. Hola a todos. If you're a member at DocMolly.com, you know I have made some big updates to the site. We have a new beautiful course platform and a new sleek design. As I was redesigning the site, this lesson from the archives caught my attention. I found it incredibly helpful, and I hope you do too. Espero que la disfruten. Today's episode responds to questions posed by listeners following the most recent clinical dialogue, Atrial Fibrillation in Spanish. For this clinical dialogue, I was joined by Maria Laura Mesías, a Spanish instructor at El Baire Spanish School in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So for this episode, Laura and I got together over Skype to answer your questions. If you ever have a question, you can send me a message or post a comment under a post at docmolly.com. Now, I work with native Spanish teachers to write the lessons at docmolly.com, and we strive to use words and phrases that are used by ordinary people. Whenever possible, we avoid medical jargon, and today's episode is no exception. Laura will present how symptoms and conditions are expressed and understood by the general public. So, even if you're not a medical professional, I hope you find this and all the podcasts helpful. And if you are a medical professional, the goal of this podcast is to teach Spanish that your patients will understand. So let's get started answering your questions. I will pose most of the questions in English, and then you will hear Laura's response in Spanish. And if you have trouble following along, all the Spanish is included in the show notes. Empecemos. First, in the clinical dialogue on atrial fibrillation, I used... La velocidad y el ritmo del corazón to refer to the heart rate and rhythm. I chose velocidad to refer to rate here because we were talking about both the heart rate and rhythm. However, you'll also hear ritmo used to refer to heart rate. So I asked Laura how she would express the number of heartbeats per minute. ¿Cómo se dice el número de latidos del corazón por minuto? Nosotros decimos eh, el ritmo cardíaco. Eh, ritmo cardíaco es justamente cuántas pulsaciones tenés por minuto. Here, I used latidos and Laura used pulsaciones to say beats, as in heartbeats. Now listen to how she uses the voz conjugation of tener, tenés, in her answer. Ritmo cardíaco es justamente cuántas pulsaciones tenés por minuto. So, after she explained that el ritmo cardíaco es cuántas pulsaciones tienes por minuto, I asked the obvious question, well then, how would you describe rhythm or el patrón de los latidos? Okay, y, pero ¿cómo se refiere al ritmo? Como, por ejemplo, en la fibrilación auricular, cuando hablamos del ritmo, estamos hablando de, del, del patrón de las pulsaciones, como es irregular en lugar de ser regular. Tal cual, patrón. 
So here, tal cual is an interjection of agreement, meaning exactly. So she responded, exactly, pattern. But since we don't say heart pattern, we say heart rhythm, I asked her, how would you express when the heart rhythm is regular as opposed to irregular in atrial fibrillation? Ritmo regular, ritmo irregular. So the take-home point here is that el ritmo cardíaco can refer to either the heart rate or the heart rhythm. So when you want to distinguish between the two, you should use a word other than ritmo to express the rate. In the clinical dialogue, we used la velocidad del corazón. Another common way to refer to heart rate is la frecuencia cardíaca. Next, we discussed how to express the sensation of palpitations in Spanish. In a prior lesson that I did with Patricia Bustamante from Mexico, she had used the expression me da brincos el corazón. When I asked Laura if she understood this, she said yes, but that in Argentina, to say that the heart skips or jumps, they don't use dar brincos. They use another word. No se usa mucho la palabra, es más centroamericana. Nosotros usamos saltar en vez de brincar. <laughs> Entonces dicen, me salta el corazón. Exacto, me salta el corazón, como que me da muchos saltos, ¿no? So now, using saltar, how would you say, I feel my heart skipping? Siento que me salta el corazón. And now, using dar brincos. Siento que me da brincos el corazón. And you just heard Laura use, me da muchos saltos el corazón. You may also hear, me dio un salto or me dio un brinco to say, my heart jumped or skipped a beat. Now let's practice some other ways to express the sensation of palpitations. Often people will use the verb palpitar to palpitate and say, Siento que me palpita el corazón. I feel that my heart is palpitating. Now, try to interpret into Spanish, I feel my heart stop. Siento que se me detiene el corazón. So here we use the reflexive verb detenerse to say to stop. You could also use pararse. Siento que se me para el corazón. And to really emphasize the sensation of the heart pounding, like it's going to jump out of one's chest, you'll hear people say, Se me va a salir el corazón del pecho. And here, the accidental say is used to emphasize the lack of control over what is happening. Se me va a salir el corazón del pecho. And Laura used the verb saltar to say something similar. Me está saltando el corazón del pecho. Me está saltando el corazón del pecho. My heart is jumping out of my chest. 
And to say that your heart is beating fast, you can say, Me late rápido, o rápidamente, o fuerte el corazón. Now try to use acelerarse to express that your heart is racing. Se me acelera el corazón. Now, with all of these, you could have used mi corazón and changed the structure of the sentence a bit. For example, siento que mi corazón se detiene or siento que mi corazón palpita. Now, returning to my discussion with Laura, then I asked her to express in Spanish the sensation of falta de aire or falta de aliento, and whether she perceived any difference between these two terms. Mira, yo cuando subo muy rápido las escaleras y, y hace mucho tiempo que no corro, que no hago ejercicio, me agito rápidamente, ¿no? Como, y esa, ese querer respirar más de lo que te da la nariz y la boca, como no te alcanza a entrar tanto aire al cuerpo. Bueno, eso es falta de aire y, y también lo decimos eso. Sí, me falta el aliento, me quedé sin aliento, así. Creo que lo usamos como sinónimos. So using quedarse, how did she say I ran out of breath? Me quedé sin aliento. Me quedé sin aliento. Quedarse sin algo is a common way to say to run out of something. And I noticed when she described the sensation of falta de aire or falta de aliento, she said, me agito rápidamente. And you may recall that Señora Rinotti used this expression, me agito, to describe how she felt in the dialogue on atrial fibrillation and in the interview between Ángel and his abuela, Doña Tere Rivas, Doña Tere used meajito to describe how her chest felt when she went up a small incline. So I asked Laura, ¿Qué exactamente significa meajito? Um, cuando utilizamos la expresión meajito del verbo agitarse, Queremos decir que nos está faltando el aire y nos está latiendo muy rápido el corazón. Entonces, el cuerpo necesita recibir más oxígeno de lo que nosotros le podemos dar. Entonces, ¿es la sensación que uno tiene después de hacer mucho esfuerzo? Sí, como correr una cuadra para llegar al bus o subir rápidamente las escaleras porque escuchas que está sonando el teléfono y tenés que atender, eh, desde un lugar quieto, desde cuando el cuerpo está tranquilo, a pedirle mucho, mucho ejercicio rápidamente, se genera esto que nosotros llamamos agitarnos, nos falta el aire y el corazón está bombeando muy rápido. So how did she just say, we are out of breath and our heart is pumping really fast? Nos falta el aire y el corazón está bombeando muy rápido. And then I asked her to describe the sensation of dizziness, mareos, in español. Cuando sentimos mareos, sentimos que 
el cuerpo no se sostiene por sí mismo y el mundo nos da un poco vueltas alrededor, ¿no? Eso se asocia mucho cuando tenemos tal vez baja presión o cuando hacemos un movimiento con las cervicales que eh, el cuerpo no, no, no estaba esperando y entonces nos genera una sensación de mareo. También las personas, por supuesto, que, que se pasan un poco de alcohol se marean, ¿no? Y eso tiene que ver con otras, otras características. So I loved how she spoke of the different forms of dizziness here, both the sensation of spinning and lightheadedness. First, she expresses the sensation that the body cannot hold itself up. El cuerpo no se sostiene por sí mismo. She then expresses the sensation that the world is spinning around us. Y el mundo nos da un poco vueltas alrededor. And then she states that dizziness, the sensation of dizziness, is often associated with low blood pressure or sudden movements of the neck. Eso se asocia mucho cuando tenemos tal vez baja presión o cuando hacemos un movimiento con las cervicales que eh, el cuerpo no, no, no estaba esperando y entonces nos genera una sensación de mareo. She concludes by mentioning the spins that people get when they drink too much alcohol, cuando se pasan de alcohol. También las personas, por supuesto, que, que se pasan un poco de alcohol, se marean, ¿no? Just like in English, dizziness, los mareos, or to feel dizzy, mareado, mareada, can mean either lightheadedness, the sensation one has with low blood pressure, or vertigo, the sensation of spinning. So to figure out exactly what the person is feeling, you can ask questions like, do you feel you're going to faint? Siente que se va a desmayar. Do you feel your head is spinning? Siente que la cabeza le da vueltas. And as you heard, when she talked about mareos, there's different ways to say it. You can use it as a noun and say sentir mareos. You can use it as an adjective and say estar o sentirse mareado o mareada. And finally, you can use it as a verb and say marearse. Cuando uno se pasa de alcohol, se marea. To conclude, we reviewed common terms for stroke. You may recall that in a prior clinical dialogue on stroke, we used the word derrame. And in the most recent clinical dialogue on atrial fibrillation, we used ACV. Finalmente, solo quiero um, revisar las diferentes palabras para expresar un accidente cerebrovascular porque hay un montón. Hay miles de formas. Últimamente nosotros lo que estamos en, el, en la, la gente vulgar, y yo me incluyo porque no soy especialista de salud, pero todo el mundo acá, por ejemplo, dice tiene una CV o tuvo una CV. No distinguimos... Dentro de todos los ACV que hay, o de las posibilidades que hay, me imagino que hay variedades, ¿no? And then I asked her about la palabra derrame, which I've commonly heard to say stroke. Y también he escuchado derrame. Sí. Es igual a, a un ACV. Como un sinónimo lo usamos, sí. 
Entonces, no solamente lo usan para ACV hemorrágico. No, lo usamos para, en general, por eso te digo, no se usa como distinguir, no sabemos distinguir si es un este, coágulo, hemorragia, no, no te puedo decir. Se usa en general esa palabra. Now here, I did get into some medical jargon when I asked about a hemorrhagic stroke versus an ischemic stroke. A hemorrhagic stroke is caused by a bleed in the brain, whereas an ischemic stroke, the more common type of stroke, is caused by a clot or lack of blood flow to the brain. I asked about using derrame to refer to any stroke, not just a hemorrhagic stroke, because derrame literally translates as spill. So it can refer to a hemorrhagic stroke. But as Laura explained, people usually don't distinguish between hemorrhagic versus ischemic strokes, and derrame is often used just to refer to a stroke in general, without distinguishing between ischemic versus hemorrhagic. And the same goes for ACV. In English, this is the acronym CVA for Cerebrovascular Accident. I hope you learned something new from this lesson. I will be back soon when we kick off a new series covering Spanish for common orthopedic injuries presenting to the ER. And check out the link in your show notes to get access to free featured modules in our courses. This week, we are featuring the sore shoulder module in our physical therapy course. In this module, a physical therapist obtains a history and performs an exam on a patient who presents to the clinic with pain in her shoulder. After completing the five lessons in this module, you will be able to confidently obtain a history of present illness and perform a shoulder exam in Spanish. So click on that link in your show notes to sign up for a free membership at dogmolly.com. Hasta la próxima!